Have you ever just wanted to disappear? Something happened to you and you wanted to immediately hide. I mean, you, you wanted to become a three-year-old again and just close your eyes because if they can't see me, if I can't see them, then they can't see me. You know, one of those situations. Well, I remember when I was in high school, my junior year, a long time ago, I remember that uh, the, the Mr. Basketball for that year, his team was coming to our school. I played basketball, and I don't, again, I just want to, I don't want to give, you know, an appearance that's not true. I, w- I was not a good basketball player, okay? I was not a good basketball player. But this guy named Tick Rogers was a good basketball player, and he was coming to our school, and he could play the game. My thing is this, is if your name is Tick, you better be good at something, okay? You better be good at something. And he was good at basketball. So the buzz around the school was, hey, man, Tick's coming tonight. Man, the game's going to happen tonight. Man, we're gonna, and the gym's going to be packed. Gym's going to be packed. But as the day went on, I, I, I sensed kind of a shift of the buzz. And, and it started to turn more into people were excited about the game because they wanted to see Tick dominate us our own team. And I started to get a little aggravated by that. I'm like, like, we're the home team. And you're excited about what he might do or how he might, you know, dominate us. Well, I remember standing in the hallway with my friends. One of them was a player on the team, right? A teammate of mine. I just remember I was hearing all the chatter and I just, I just slammed my locker room, my locker door. And I said, listen, if I'm in the game, there won't be any dunking. I think y'all know where this is going. (laughs) So game time happened. It's the first quarter. We can't even make it through the first quarter of the game. The buddy that was standing with me, who was a teammate of mine, dribbling the ball, throws a lazy pass across the lane, tick, bats it down, and he's off to the races. Now look. He bats the ball down, and this is no exaggeration. Nobody moves. Nobody moves. Everybody stops in their tracks because they want to see the show. They want to see what Tick is going to do. Nobody moves except this guy. I move. And, like, I'm in the corner, and I take off running after Tick. I'm running after him. And all I'm committed to at this point is that there will not be a dunk happening right now. I'm going, I'm going to do what it takes. By any means necessary, that ball's not getting dunked, not while I'm in the game. So I catch up to Tick, and he's about to rear back. I mean, he's about to, I mean, it's going it's to be a nice dunk. So I just, I just did what I could do. I just grabbed his arm. I literally just grabbed his arm. And I'm like, Tick, man, if you're, if you're going to dunk this ball, you're going to have to take me with you. Tick took me with him. (laughs) He took me with him and dunks the ball, yanks me up with him and dunks the ball. Foul's called. It's an and one. I do want to submit this morning, though, that I have never, ever in my life been dunked on. I have been dunked with, (laughs) but not dunked on, okay? So, I mean, he dunks it. The crowd is going crazy. They're going crazy. 
My, my friends are on the, on the front row, the peps section. They're all like covered up. They, they, can't, they can't even look at me. They're all covered up. The crowd's like, oh, moms are grabbing their kids and covering their eyes. I'm a spectacle. A spectacle is happening right now. And I'm telling you, it compl- I mean, I'm beyond embarrassed at this point. I'm beyond. So much that I can't believe it to this day, but this is how I responded to this. All right? I walk in between the cheerleaders, and cheerleaders are like looking at me, and they're like, I'll get out of the way. I walk in between the cheerleaders, and I walk to the stage at the end of the, jo- in the gym, in the end zone, and I lay my head on the stage. Who does that? I did that. I did that. So, and if there was ever a time as a player I wanted my coach to take me out, it was then. Take me out of the game. My coach was like, no, we're, we're going to leave you in there. I was dying. Needless to say, I didn't play well the rest of the game, but I remember after the game, went to the locker room, we all got dressed, and I did not want to go. I did not want to see anybody. All I could think about when I walked upstairs and I walked, and everyone looked, is like everybody in the gym's looking at me because I'm the guy that got destroyed by Tick Rogers. I'm the reason why everybody came to the game because they wanted to see Tick Rogers dunk on somebody, and I was the guy. I was embarrassed. I wanted to hide. But here's the deal I moved on, I think. I think, as I tell the story, I wonder, you know, you move on. Embarrassing things happen to you in your life, and you, it's momentary. You find a way, and you, you kind of move on. I'm not saying the thing that's embarrassing you is not a real thing, but you can move on. But embarrassment, it can, it can lead to other things in our life. No matter what it might be, or what it, for me it was a basketball game, for, for you it could be quite different, but embarrassment can get something else jump-started. And the thing it can get jump-started is, is, our, is our next roadblock that we're talking about in our current series, and it's, it's shame. It's shame. Now, shame has not always existed in the world. It has not. You remember when we did our last series and we were going through Genesis covering beginnings, the beginnings of everything. You had Adam and Eve created. They're in perfect union with one another. And you have that verse at the, at the end of Genesis 2, 2.25. It says, the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. They're not ashamed. But then there's a turn. There's a turn. In Genesis 3, 7, it says, after they sinned and after sin came into the world, it says, at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt what? Shame. Suddenly. Now that sin has come into the world, there's this other thing that comes along with it. Yes, death. But along with it, shame. A deep sense of shame at their nakedness. So what did they do? What did they do? No one had to coach them on what their next move is with shame. They didn't go to a class. They didn't have to be instructed. They did what me and you do, what we all do instinctively when it comes to shame. We cover it up. Whatever it is, whatever that thing in our life is that we don't want other people to see, 
We don't want them to see. We cover it. But here's the problem. Here's the thing. Like God, Adam, Eve, me, you, we all agree that sin and shame needs to be covered. We all agree on that. The problem comes in when we think that we are the ones who can actually appropriately cover it. And that was Adam and Eve's problem. They tried to cover their own sin and shame, and it did not work for them. So this morning, I just want to give us a working definition of shame. So working definition, so that we're all kind of looking at the same thing. And this is how we're going to define shame. Shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. All right? It's a deep sense that you are unacceptable. You are not welcomed. Nobody wants you because of something you did, something done to you, or something that you're in association with. It, I mean, it is the essence of being exposed and humiliated. That's why we cover it. You know, there is definitely a relationship between guilt and shame, but they're, they're not the same thing. All right, so when we think about guilt, think about it like this. I, that means I did something wrong. I did something I shouldn't do. I, I did something and I, I broke a rule. I broke a law. I did something wrong. The, the drive of that and the focus of that is behavior. It's conduct. Shame, it's a whole, new, it's a whole different ballgame. Shame says there's something wrong with me. I did something wrong. Shame says, ah, no, there's something wrong with me. It, it strikes to the core of who we are. It strikes to the core of who you are. It's not about behavior. It's about identity. It's about identity. Somebody else said it like this one time. It's, it's, it's a difference between saying, hey, I, I made a mistake and I am a mistake. So you can see when it comes to roadblocks in our lives, when, when shame is a factor in our lives, when shame is, is um, present, and it is in all of our lives, it is. It's there. Just think about the thing that you're most afraid of, that if somebody found out, or the thing that you try so hard in your life, to keep covered up, or to make sure it doesn't happen to you again, and you will find shame in your life. And shame, it's a, it's a terrible motivator. It's a terrible, terrible motivator. And the thing with shame is that it's a direct assault on the image of God. It's a direct assault. Okay, it's not coming around the side or anything like that. No, when it comes to shame, shame is coming in and it's a direct assault on your worth and your value as, a, as an image bearer of God, which it should come from. And by, and by nature, it, it challenges our sense of worth. Shame is a taker. It robs you. That's what it's designed to do. Sin and shame working hand to hand. 
so that you cannot be, you cannot operate, you cannot function in accordance with what God has supplied for you through his son Jesus. You're not free. We're not free because we care and we're controlled by the eyes of others, what they see. Their gaze on this area of our lives is the most terrifying thing in our lives. And it's all of us. It's all, it's all of us. So there's two things. There's shame. It, it always involves people. It's inherently social, right? Like, like, it's concerned with the gaze of people, how people see us. Because we care about how people see us because we don't want to be rejected by people. We want to be accepted by people. So even when we're putting ourselves in position to be seen, we still want to control what parts of us that you do see. We care a lot about that. Not too long ago, excuse me, actually a long time ago, I was walking down the hallway over in our B building, and it was during the day the academy was going on during that time, and I wasn't paying attention. Wasn't paying attention. I was walking through, and there's a little metal pole that divides these doors, and they were open. And I'm walking, and I'm not looking up. And I run smack dab into that pole. I mean, it rocks my world. I mean, I, I'm not like, it hurt me. Like, I was hurt. Like, I run right into it. I'm hurt. But the first thing, it was instinctive. The first thing I did was to look up and see if anyone saw it. At that moment, listen, I don't know. I don't know if I was bleeding. I'm telling you, I rocked this pole. I don't know what's going on. But the first thing on the list was, did anybody see this? Did anybody see this? And that's, that's how shame works. And what the crazy thing about it was, I hit my head, I looked around, nobody saw it, and I felt better. <laughs> I felt better. It wasn't as bad. You know why? No witnesses. No witnesses. But that's how a lot of us function in life. We function that way in life is that, you know what? Things are happening to us. And as long as there's no witnesses, there's no witnesses. No, nobody has eyes on what's going on inside of my heart. No one has eyes on what's going on internally, what I'm struggling with. The only way they could ever know that is if I disclosed that. If I slipped up and let you know that in some way. But we work so hard to make sure we're not letting that, we're not going to let somebody in to see this. Not this part. Not this part of me. Because it'll change the way they see me. And I don't want, I don't want the way they see me to be changed. It's a trap. Shame also involves standards. There's standards involved, and it could be God's law. It could be standards by, by way of comparison. It could be standards that, that really are, are how you measure yourself. So in that way, that's why we can feel shame for different things. It's not a kind of a one-size-fits-all. We all can feel different forms of shame and shame from different things. So it's, 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 it's going to involve some type of standard, and you're going to look at that, and you're going to ask the question, do I measure up? 
do I measure up to this? And if you don't, it, it communicates how you feel about yourself, how you assess your value. We see this in applied in inappropriate ways when it comes to cancel culture, which really is a culture of shame. It's, it's mass shaming. You know, it's almost like with all of the, the roadblocks that we've talked about, it's, it's as if we can't even talk about them without talking about social media in some way. Social media it just seems like shame needed a vehicle. <laughs> shame invented like social media almost. And, that, and, that's, and that's where people find themselves. And it's because you did not, you don't, you don't match up to the standard that I think you should be living. And sometimes that's right. But you're not really after trying to really fix the problem. What you're trying to do is to shame a person. You want a public shaming of that person. That's what brings the joy out of it. That's what you really want to see. What you want is that I want to ruin you. Because of what you've done, who you were associated with, I want your life ruined. And so I'm going to put all of that on loop so that you feel what? Your shame. You feel your shame. You know, we as parents, man, sometimes we, we can use shame in our parenting. Some of us, we're, we were parented that way. You know, I, I mean, literally, sometimes we use shame to to control the behavior of our kids. And one reason for that is because when you shame someone, you can get an immediate response. It's behavior modification. It's a terrible tool. But it can come out as, as overtly as saying the statement, shame on you. It's like a pronouncement on someone. Shame on you. And shame on you can be followed with another strike at your identity. Shame on you. What's wrong with you? Not, hey, why did you do that? Why did you do that? Hey, what were you, what, what, you were think, what did you think that was going to accomplish? No, it's a strike at identity. What's wrong with you? It can be hurtful. It's, it's shame-driven. I can't believe you would do that to me. Their conduct is personalized. What do you think you will amount to with grades like that? What are you going to amount to making grades like this? And what happens is that you begin to attach what I'm going to amount to to what I bring home on my report card. It's a statement of value. And it's an opportunity for shame. Favoritism. We see all kinds of dysfunction like this in the Bible. But think about favoritism in your house, multiple kids. And maybe there's a child that's maybe more talented or given to certain things. And, or they have, a, they have a, a personality that's just maybe a little bit more enjoyable, that makes you lean a little bit more that way. And then the other kid can, kids or kid can find themselves on the outside. 
because they don't play that sport or they don't do that thing or they don't see humor the way you see humor. Favoritism can do that. We can make comments that give kids their their self-worth from what they do, not who they are. So it's very easy as a parent to start replacing something like, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you with, I love you. And what can happen is that now when I hear I love you, it's always attached to something that I performed and did. So to earn the love of mom and dad or, the, or to get the approval of mom and dad, I've got to do something because that makes, that, that makes them love me, makes them love me. Now, listen, we all know that that's not true, but I want you to see that the things we do and the statements that we make and how they're attached to um, performance and identity, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. And like Adam and Eve, we're still working on trying to cover up our shame in some way. So I want you to understand, look, look, you can't learn enough. You can't educate yourself out of shame. All right? You can't get enough power. You can't bully your way out of shame. You can't hold enough people to feel better about yourself. Shame remains. That's just a way that you cover up your shame. You can't accumulate enough things in life. You can't buy enough things that will cover up your shame. The only one who can cover our shame is God himself. And he's done it through his son, Jesus. Shame is destructive. And when you see, I guarantee you, if you see depression, if you see eating disorder, if you see promiscuity, if you see violence, you see any kind of addiction, shame is right there, right there, right alongside it. So it's important that we, that we, we investigate shame in this roadblock because it is a roadblock to listen. I want you to understand all of our lives, all of our lives. And if you're thinking right now, this, hmm, this is interesting. This is, no, I haven't really thought about this. I'm telling you, it is, it is a part of your life. We're all struggling with it. So I want to look at an episode in Scripture here out of Luke chapter 8, verses 43 through 48. And we're going to look at someone who had difficulty shaking shame. And we're going to have a look at it. So if you, have, if you have your Bible, your tablet, your phone, just make your way to Luke Chapter 8, verses 43 through 48, and we're going to look at a story here about a woman who had difficulty just shaking shame. And I'm going to read through it here, starting with verse 43. It says, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her life living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him. And touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that, it that touched me? When all denied it, Jesus said, Master, the crowds surround you are pressing in on you. 
But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. Now, this is what we know about this lady. We don't even know her name. All we know is that she is described and she is defined by her issue. Something happened in her life 12 years prior to this moment. She's been struggling with an issue of blood, some, something that by Jewish law, most likely would have been something that made her ceremonially unclean. Which would mean that she would be a religious outcast in a religious society. And she would, she would be rendered, she would be isolated in some ways. Because of something that she has no control over. Now sometimes it's, it, it, we feel shame because of things we can control and things that we have done. But for her, it was something that she had no control over, yet, yet she's, she's battling with this. She's simply known as the woman with the bleeding problem. Huh. You know, when you think about other people in the Bible, and we just read about it all the time, sometimes you wonder, I wonder who that guy was. I wonder who that woman was. And sometimes the name isn't important, but it's interesting that they're known by, we, we talk about people in the Bible by their faults, their flaws, what was wrong with them. Hey, you remember the story about the leper? Oh, the demon-possessed man. He's the demon-possessed man. That's how we know him. That's his identity. You mean the woman of the city who, who lived a sinful life? I don't know her name. And maybe we do know your name. But then we attach the stigma to you. So you're Rahab, the prostitute. Maybe you've sent shame in your life in some way because of your ethnicity on some level. So, yeah, you're Ruth, the Moabite. Shame can come in all forms. Maybe some of you all in this room, you, you feel like I'm... Man, I'm the person with the failed marriage. I'm the divorced person. I'm, I'm the person who is an alcoholic. I'm the person who has an addiction. I'm the one who had an abortion. I'm the parent who, whose kids are acting a fool. I'm the parent, I'm a bad parent because I can't get my kids under control. And you feel that. Maybe you're a victim of or a perpetrator of domestic violence, domestic abuse. All of these things, avenues to conceal, to hide, to feel shame. Pastor Corey gives me all the happy topics, doesn't he? That's what I get to preach up here about. 
I get all the happy stuff. But it's the reality. It's the reality. So much of the shame in how we look. The way we dress sometimes is driven by shame. What we're pursuing and what we want to put in front of people, driven because I don't want to be rejected by him. I don't want to be rejected by them. I don't want to be the guy who, fill in the blank. It's there. But she was the woman with the bleeding problem. And she was committed to, to getting rid of this problem. The scriptures say that she, she spent her living going to physicians trying to try to eradicate the problem. And every doctor she went to, every physician she went to, there was not a solution. Man could not fix this particular problem. It couldn't fix it. So when it comes to somebody saying, I, I, will, I will give my all, I'd give anything just so that this would leave me, she did. She gave everything. So she became open to very, various avenues to get, to get this taken care of. So she came up behind Jesus one day because the report said that she was coming through. We know that from Mark's account. She heard that Jesus was cutting through, so she, she goes up to Jesus, and she thinks that, you know what, I know a little bit about Jesus. It's not informed or completely informed, but I know that if I can get to Jesus, if I can touch the hem of his garment, if I could just, just nick it, not even him, if I could just get his garment, that guy is powerful enough to fix my problem. So she runs up, she touches the hem of his garment, and this is how it goes down. Remember, Jesus is on another, he's on another journey right now. He's, he has another, another mission that he's on. He's actually going to another person's house. And we know his name. His name is Jairus. He's a ruler of the synagogue. And his daughter is dying. So Jesus is actually going to his house to try to help his dying daughter. They're all pressing up against him. They're pushing against him. He's making his way. It's a, it's it's crazy. And then she makes her way somehow to him, nicks, nicks the hem of his garment. And he's like, oh, who touched me? And look, everyone's confused. This is like a celebrity walking out from an event with fans here and paparazzi here and walking going, who took a picture of me? Everyone's taking a picture of you. And with and Peter's confused. He's saying, look, like, like, Jesus, everybody is pressing against you. What do you mean? But Jesus knows that this touch is different. It's a different touch. It's a touch that came with, with purpose. It's a touch that came with faith. It's a, it's a touch that came with intentionality. And Jesus knows, no, 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 no. Power has, has come from me. No. So he says, who touched me? Who was it? Now here's the deal. Jesus, he's asking questions that he knows the answers to. That's his way. He's the son of God, and that's how God works. But the purpose of the question is to draw out. Remember Adam and Eve? Where are you? Who told you you were naked? 
all those kinds of things, to draw them out. He's saying, you know what? We're not moving until she comes out. This is, this is not even about the crowd. This is about her and Jesus. So Jesus doesn't move on. After all denied, he doesn't move on. And now in verse 47, it says, when the woman saw that she was not hidden anymore. But she was, wasn't she? Because all denied it. They don't even know what he's talking about. She realizes she's not hidden from Jesus. She realized that, no, he knows. He knows. And it's a scary proposition for her that he knows. But I want you to think about something. She was just healed. She had, a, she had this issue for 12 years of her life. An outcast in society. Immediately healed. She knows that she's immediately healed and she's hiding when other people in the Bible get healed, they're jumping for joy. The paralytic, grab your mat, go home. He grabs the mat and he goes home. The blind man, hey, I can see again. In that account, people are saying, are you, are, is he really the guy that was blind? And he's, he's appealing and saying, I'm the guy. Jesus healed me. When you're healed, you want to tell people about that. But this is the thing. She's still hiding. She comes trembling. You know why? Because she had more than one problem, and the main problem wasn't a bleeding problem. She had a shame problem. She had a hiding problem. So even though she was healed, even though God had taken care of that, Jesus had taken care of that aspect of her life, she was still functioning and operating like she had for the last 12 years, concealing and hiding. See, that's what I was talking about earlier, embarrassment. You can get over that. It fades away after time. No. Shame, it's hard to get off of you. It's hard to get off of you. And it was hard for her to shed that, even though she was healed. And, and Jesus is, he didn't, he's like, hey, I'm bringing you out here because, not to shame you, because, look, I'm not, I didn't heal you to hide you. That's not the point of why I'm healing you. That's not what the work here is for. And the same thing is for us is that God wants to reveal what is hidden so that he can highlight his power and grace. He takes that because it's an opportunity for him to shine his light on something. And when, he, when, when you see that thing, that thing is not the focus. It's not the point. So whatever that thing is for you, that's not the point. The point is, this is what Jesus has done with this. This is what Jesus is doing with this. That's the point of it. So he's wanting to highlight his power in her life. And all that secrecy does is it empowers the shame. No, we're getting it out. I'm the light of the world. We're shining the light on. We're going to expose, we're going to expose this thing. She comes out trembling because she doesn't understand completely who Jesus is. He's more than just a powerful person. She doesn't know and understand his heart. See, here's the deal when it comes to, 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 to things that you're experiencing when you're having shame. When, you, when you're experiencing that, you can come to Jesus with your shame. You can come to Jesus fully exposed, not hiding anything, bringing your wounds, bringing your baggage, bringing your issues and, and problems. You can bring them all to Jesus, and you can do that with the confidence, 
with the confidence that he is not going to embarrass you. It's not to exploit you. It's not to shame you. He's not going to turn you away. He's not going to despise you. He's brought healing to you to bring it to light. And what he wants her to see is that you're so concerned about all of these eyes and being accepted and received by all of these eyes in the room or in the road. But I want you to know that my eyes, when I see you, I accept you. Every bit of you. Every bit of you, I accept you. And the beauty of it is that when he calls her out, the scriptures say that, that she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and that she had immediately been, been healed. So she goes and she's, she talks about why she touched him, what happened when she touched him, and what happened after she touched him. You know what she did? You know what Jesus essentially made her do in front of all those people? Testify. Share a testimony. Talk about what I've done. But if I talk about what you've done, they're going to know that I was unclean and this was my problem. And they're going to know my junk. They're going to know it for 12 years. That doesn't matter. Talk about the junk so you can highlight my grace and my power. That's what he wants to do here. And the beautiful thing about this, and it's true if you're a Christ follower in this room and you've been saved by God's grace, is that what was shameful for you, what was once shameful, it has now become powerful. But what he's encouraging her to do is complete the loop. Because for some of you, all you're doing is this is shameful. Do you want it powerful? Yes. Then expose it. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to, stop hiding it. Stop hiding it. And look, I'm not, I'm not telling you to get on, get on social media tonight and just talk about all your problems and air it out or just to talk to random strangers. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm telling you, there's power in your ability to, to, to trust what Jesus is asking you to do over your fear of people. Because the, the acceptance that you have in Jesus, that's what empowers you to risk the rejection of other people. Because you care more about what he thinks of you than what other people think of you. You know why? Because what he thinks of you is more important than what other people think about you. And you walk in that. So, Hey, if you're struggling, if this is like new to you or you're just, I would begin a conversation with somebody. If you're a student in here and you're, you're struggling with something, something's going on, find a leader. Find somebody. If you have nobody, call the church. Ask for me. Shoot me an email. I, what I want to encourage you to do is get the conversation started. Deal with that first layer of the onion to say, I don't want to hide this anymore. I want God to do something with it. So that what is shameful to you now can become powerful. It can be powerful. And, and he lets her know as she's coming out in the public that, you know what, I'm not ashamed of you and I'm not ashamed to be associated with you. <laughs> she came out trembling. He's like, no, 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 no. 
No, you're, I'm calling you daughter. You're family. You are family. And he tells her, your faith has healed you. Your faith. Your trust in another that you can't do for yourself. Your dependence upon another and the right other person. <laughs> Jesus, your faith in him, that is what's healed you. I want you to think about what our faith means. And, and she's an example of that, but we have an ultimate example when it comes to faith. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Some of that weight is this, the weight of shame. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What? Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He, he's the originator of it. And he's the perfecter of it, meaning that, that you can't improve upon it. He's shown us what it looks to model faith, to walk with God, to endure the cross, to despise the shame. Despising the shame means this, is that it literally means he thought little of it. The thing that we're trying to cover, the things that were done to us, the things that we've done, he, he didn't do anything. He was innocent. But yet, as the innocent one, he was experiencing shame, our shame. And he thought little of it. Well, does it mean that, you know, the, the cross wasn't really that tough for him? No, no, it means all. It means he endured every bit of it. All the way to the wrath of God being poured out on him for us. But he thought little of it. Why? Because of the joy set before him. The joy set before him. The future hope informs his current and present actions. That future, that joy. It's, it's up to us to trust in Christ, that he will do what he promised. And that when you do trust in him, he will not put you to shame. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the power. He will save you. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses, and is saved. Look at where verse 11 says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. He will not put you to shame. So our confession on earth will lead to God's confession of you in heaven. He is not too good, and he is not ashamed to associate himself with us. Jesus was despised and rejected in every way so that we could be accepted by God in every way.